Tonight's reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, which is on page 1011 of the Church Bibles. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmathuna. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we begin. We just prayed these words in this song, I will set my mind on the things above. And so we pray, Father, for your Spirit's help and work in our hearts now. Father, we know that that is an impossible task without your enabling and your help. And so, Father, we pray that as we think on these things in your word, that you would help us to get our minds on what is above. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, you may be forgiven for um, having a kind of sense of deja vu Uh, about this passage, because um, you don't have to worry, it's not a glitch in the matrix. Um, It's because this feeding of the 4,000 seems remarkably similar to the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe as it was read, you thought to yourself, that sounds familiar, but the numbers don't quite seem right. Um, That's because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000, 
uh, with five loaves and two fish. It's the famous Sunday school uh, lesson. And here, Jesus seems to be doing the same, just this time with 4,000 people. Uh, And the big question I've had as I've sat in the 35-degree heat this week is, um, why do we get this repeat? Why another feed-in just a couple of chapters later? Why do we need to hear that Jesus can miraculously feed with only uh, a few loaves, thousands of people? Uh, And as we're going to see this evening, it comes down to the people who are there. See, this second feeding is really important because it shows us the type of people that are to be found in Jesus' kingdom. And as we're going to see, it is not the people we expect. Now, to get your heads around our passage this evening, there's 21 verses, and it's divided by two boat rides. Uh, There's a boat ride in verse 10. Uh, If you're a sailor, this is where your ears prick uh, prick up. Um, It's very exciting. Um, Verse 10, he gets in a boat with his disciples. And verse 13, uh, he gets in a boat again. Now, uh, Mark hasn't got a particular interest in telling us the transport he uses, but he does use that as a kind of device to slice up the passage. And so we get these three sections. Um, We get uh, the feeding miracle uh, in the first part, then the the boat ride. uh, And then we get a response to Jesus by the Pharisees. And then another boat ride, and we get the disciples' response. But you'll notice at verse 20, uh, just over the page, uh, Jesus is speaking about loaves there. That's loaves of bread. He's still on the topic of the feeding. So this kind of feeding kind of runs through this whole section uh, and uh, splits into three parts. Now, what do we see here? Well, you'll see on the handout, we've got our three points as ever. And you'll see here, first of all, we see that Jesus treats outsiders as insiders. Secondly, Jesus treats insiders as outsiders. And then thirdly, he asks the question for us, where are we this evening as St. Mary's? First of all, um, that first point, Jesus treats outsiders as insiders. Um, let's come back to this feed-in in a bit more detail and ask that question again. Why does Jesus need to do another feed-in? Because um, lots of the details are very similar, isn't it? Uh, aren't they? Um, you get a crowd... Uh, They're listening to Jesus, they become hungry, Uh, they realize they've got no food, there's a question to the disciples and Jesus miraculously uh, divides up some bread and everyone is filled. Now the commentators have a lot of fun with this and some of the more liberal ones say that it must be the same event and Mark's kind of got mixed up and uh, perhaps he's changed some of the details. Uh, And they point out things like verse 4 of chapter 8. Notice what his disciples say in verse 4. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And they think, well, the disciples can't be that stupid, surely. Only two chapters ago, uh, he's fed 5,000, and now they're asking the question, where can we get bread? But I think some of these commentators, they underestimate how foolish some of us are, at least me. Because I think, how often has God done something for me, and then only a couple of weeks or months later, I've forgotten, and don't think he can do the same thing again. And actually, whilst the events are very similar, um, there are differences here. The numbers, uh, what is said, and um, this is kind of the deciding factor for me. Jesus thinks there are two uh, feed-ins. In verse 18, he asks, uh, verse 17, 19, sorry, there we go, 19, uh, he says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and in verse 20, he says, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000. So um, there we go, I'm not going to disagree with Jesus. It does seem... There are two feedings. But the question still stands, doesn't it? 
Why do we need these two feedings? I mean, Jesus has proved his point, surely. He's the king. He can feed his people in the desert. He's shown that he's God's rescuer, uh, feeding his people. Why does he need to do it again? Well, the key difference here is the audience. Now, this is a bit subtle, but um, it's, it's there when you look uh, a little bit more closely. Do you notice who's there at this second feeding? Now, the area we're in is, um, uh, we're told in 7 verse 31, we're in um, uh, the Decapolis, which is, uh, I've got a map here, very exciting. Um, oh, I do this every time. I, I think the green sticks out, but then it doesn't when it comes on this projector, so you have to amu- use your imagination. The Decapolis is here. Now, the green bits are kind of Jewish territory. Uh, the white bits are Gentile territory. So we've just crossed the border uh, into the Gentile territory. Um, the, the word for basket here, if you're interested in the original, in the first feeding, it is a Jewish word. In this feeding, it is a Gentile word in verse 8. And the crucial difference comes um, in 7 verse 26, because here this feeding follows the healing of a woman's daughter. But this woman, we're told, is a Greek, a Syrophoenician. See, that is someone you would least expect to benefit from Jesus' kingdom. Now, it's absolutely fascinating what Mark does here, because notice what she says in verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want. And in fact, in the original, that's let them be satisfied. And in chapter 8, verse 8, that is exactly what is said about the crowd. The people ate and were satisfied. So if that's been a bit much for you, here's the point to come back in. Because what Jesus is doing here is a carbon copy of his first miracle, but with the Gentiles. So you expect, don't you, that the Jewish Messiah would have compassion on the Jewish people. But here he's crossing the border, doing the same miracle with the people you don't expect. Now, perhaps you hear that and you think, okay, yeah, big wow. And perhaps we kind of struggle to get the significance of that. Because we, we kind of used to thinking that God is for everyone. He's really inclusive. And um, surely if there is a God, he'll be God of the whole world. But actually, that, isn't a, that wasn't a common view in the first century. Uh, I take this, for example, from a bit of Jewish literature uh, in the centuries before Jesus. It says this, as sacred food was intended not for the dogs, the Torah, that's the the Old Testament, the the law, uh, was intended to be given not to the Gentiles. They're basically saying, look, the the Bible's not for everyone. It is not for the Gentiles. It is for the Jews only. See, there was a clear firewall between Jew and Gentile. The expectation was that Jesus had come just for the Jews But here Jesus is reversing that. He's feeding a crowd of Gentiles. See, the outsiders are now being treated as insiders. Now, Jesus isn't a universalist. Um, Notice in verse 2 of chapter 8, he speaks about those who have been with him. And the word used there is a very strong word. It's, It's literally clung to him. So these this crowd is keen. They're responding by faith. And because of that, Jesus has compassion. And Mark is showing us that those who have faith in him, no matter what your background, no matter what your race, your nationality, Jesus is not parochial. He is the Messiah for all people. 
Now, why do we need to hear that at St. Mary's? That was a question I was asking myself this week. Um, And I think partly it's because it's so easy to forget, isn't it? Um, Turn over the page to chapter 9, verse 38. I'm sorry, there was a lot of turning tonight, um, but I get very excited about Mark, so there we go. Um, There we see uh, a man, uh, the, the disciples come and complain to Jesus because a man's driving out demons, but he's not one of their gang. He's not doing it in kind of with the apostles. And uh, Jesus actually rebukes them. He says, look, you're being too exclusive. What matters is a commitment to me. And it's easy to be like them, I think, to kind of shrink Jesus in and to think that he only works with a certain group, the educated, or the people who had a church background, or a certain class, or a certain uh, persuasion of people. But that is wrong, isn't it? Jesus is treating outsiders as insiders. It is, he is the Messiah for all people. Now, a few years ago, I was reminded of this. I um, travelled to Uganda. I was very fortunate to go. And uh, it was my first time in Africa. Um, I'd been to Tenerife a few years earlier, but I was told by the people there that didn't count as Africa, even though it's off the coast. Um, and I travelled for thousands of miles on the plane. I was a complete zombie when I arrived. I drove for hours down this kind of dust track, uh, in a 4 by 4 that looked like it was going to collapse any minute. And um, I arrived at this Christian college in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it was a completely different world. But do you know what? It was like I was at home. Because Jesus was worshipped there, the people were brothers and sisters, and despite the long distance, despite the cultural distance, we were connected because Jesus is king over all people. And I remember thinking, there's no other organisation like this where you can travel halfway around the world and be brothers and sisters with people who are completely different to you. And it's re- the reason is, is for passages like this. Jesus has compassion on all people. It might be we're here this evening and we've always kind of felt on the edge. We've always felt a bit like an outsider. We felt marginalised, we've never kind of fitted We might feel excluded from things because of our background, our history, our kind of music taste, our dress sense, whatever it is. We see here that Jesus is for all those who want to cling to him, who come to him, no matter who we are. I love to finish the passage there, but actually there's a little bit of a sting in the tail uh, in this passage. Because uh, as we move on to our second point, we see that it's not just the outsider who's treated as the insider... But the insiders are treated as the outsiders. See, there's a scene change in verse 10. Uh, Jesus gets back in the boat. And uh, he goes to a place called uh, Dalma... Uh, I can't say it, sorry. Dalmanutha. I've spelled it out here and I've got it wrong. There we go. Dalmanutha. No one knows where it is. No one knows how to pronounce it. Um, but uh, the, pr- the, the Pharisees pop up in verse 11, which show us that he's back in Jewish territory. It's like Jesus has come to play at his home ground. But the reaction Jesus gets is not the one you would expect from home fans. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked for for a sign from heaven. See, rather than throwing a welcome party for their king, they begin to point the finger. They argue with him. They want a sign to test him. And it's not wrong to, to ask Jesus questions. It's not wrong to investigate who he is. We encourage that here at St. Mary's. But these questions aren't like that. They ask for a sign, even though they've had sign 
after sign. I remember a few years ago, I was at a university mission, and um, we had a question time uh, as part of it, and uh, it was a great time. We, there were lots of questions by lots of people, and uh, we were answering some of the questions, and people seemed to be taking things on board. But then a group of uh, blokes uh, turned up, and it sounded like it felt like they had one or two shandies, and uh, they sat down, and they decided to ask us uh, some questions, but it was clear they were just trying to trip us up. And I think they were asking me about hell and things like that. And I, I kept answering, but they kept asking the questions straight back at me. And I, I felt to myself, no, it doesn't matter what I say. You've already made your mind up. You just want to feel better about what you think already. And it's similar here, isn't it? You get the sense here that it's not a sign to believe. They just want another excuse to hold Jesus at arm's length. But there's more going on here. Because think about where this comes in Mark's gospel. It's just come after this feeding of the Gentiles. And, and Mark's done that on purpose. He he's wants us to see the, the contrast. See, in the feeding, the outsiders were treated as insiders. But here we get the classic insiders. These are kind of the Pharisees, the clergy of the day. And yet, they don't believe like the crowd. And how does Jesus respond? Well, verse 12, he sighed deeply. And said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to it. Now, I tell you, often I imagine that signs are done for people who don't believe. To give them evidence of why they should. But Jesus turns it around, doesn't he? It's because of their unbelief they don't get a sign. And notice how Mark puts things in verse 13. Then he left them got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Now, the commentators very helpfully have pointed out that there's a double meaning here. Jesus leaves them in the boat, but he's leaving them in a deeper sense. This is it for them. As tough as this is to hear, I I like the fact that Jesus has got some dignity here. He's not going to kind of constantly beg for approval, doing sign after sign, saying, come on, will you believe When people are too proud, who refuse to recognize who he is, he will say enough is enough. Now it's important to remember that it's not one strike and you're out. He's shown them for eight chapters now, sign after sign. But now the insiders are being treated as outsiders. Now I was thinking, why is this bit here? Why do we need to hear this? And it might be a warning for us kind of religious types. It shows us, doesn't it, that we can be very religious but have our hearts set against Jesus. But I wonder if it's also here to encourage us that Jesus treats people fairly. See, it's, um, this is the kind of final straw for the uh, religious establishment in Mark. Um, he's done lots of signs. They've held their hands uh, out. Uh, they, they, they've refused to turn to him. Um, They've held him at arm's length, and now the kind of door closes on that bit of the mission. And we can see here that Jesus has been far more patient than you or me would have ever been. And I don't know about you, I think sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to to look at the church today, to see the decline, at least in the West, and think something's gone badly wrong, that we might even think the problem's with Jesus, that he's kind of thrown in the towel early. But this reminds us he is always fair. If he withdraws, 
It is always because of our problem, not his. If we have, if we come to Jesus, he will have compassion. Remember the crowd. But here's the other side of the coin. If we hold him off, he will get in the boat eventually. Our second boat ride, taking us into the third point in verse 13. Now, if this were a movie, I I often get the kind of connect group to to kind of visualize what this would be like as a movie, and I I get them to do some of the mood music, uh, and they enjoy that uh, a lot. Some of them get too into it and start writing scores and things like that. Uh, But um, if this were a movie, and uh, this would be where the kind of tense music kicks in, because here we come to the disciples. And uh, if the, the disciples are on a kind of spectrum from insider to outsider, I guess we would think they'd be on the inside with Jesus. They're disciples after all. But actually, that's not what we see. Look at how they react in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. See, they realize they've got no bread. It's like you've started out on your summer holidays. Uh, You've done the packed lunch, you've got the cool bag packed, and you've left it on the kitchen worktop. And they realize they've done that. And Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach them in verse 15. Be careful Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. It's a little bit cryptic what Jesus says there. Um, Yeast in Matthew means hypocrisy, um, uh, uh, teaching rather. Uh, Yeast in Luke talks about hypocrisy, but here it seems to be talking about unbelief. That's what we've seen in the Pharisees before. It's remarkable, isn't it? Jesus cares more than anything about belief. They're worried about the bread. Jesus said you should be worried about unbelief. But look at the disciples' response in verse 16. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. This is like a comedy moment, isn't it? Jesus says, beware the yeast of unbelief. And they're saying, has he forgotten? Has he kind of heard that we've forgotten to bring lunch? I mean, they've missed the point. They're worried about the pat lunch. Jesus is worried about their belief. And there's a kind of double comedy here. I don't know if you've spotted it, but remember who they're in the boat with. You're you're in a boat, short of food, you've got one loaf of bread, and you're with the guy who's fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people. I mean, you don't need to worry. It's like going on a road trip with Elon Musk and worrying whether you've got enough change to pay for the car parking. Jesus has got it covered. Now, this would be comedy except that it's deadly serious. Because remember what's just become before. Jesus has left those who resist believing in him. And here are the disciples in the same boat, literally, getting very, very close to being outsiders to the kingdom. Look at what Jesus says, the most somber words in Mark's gospel. In verse 18, Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So you expect Jesus' opponents not to understand. But you don't expect it from his disciples. They have been with Jesus day in, day out. They're following him. They're seeing the miracles firsthand. 
and they can't see. They're as clueless as everyone else. It starts to get under the skin, doesn't it? Because it's possible to be very, very close to Jesus. It's possible to be in the same boat as him and still not see him. It's possible to be in church, to sing the hymns, to read the Bible, and still not see who he is. And and the problem is that we don't like to think that about ourselves. We always assume that we can see. We don't like to think of ourselves as blind or deaf. But as one novelist said, the easiest person to deceive is one's own self. Now these is one of, this is one of those moments where kind of the words jump out the page. I, I was reading this uh, in my preparation and just thought, wow, Jesus is kind of asking this question to me as well. Because the verse in 21, uh, sorry, the, 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 what he says in verse 21, do you still not understand, is a question that Mark wants to prompt in us as well. Do we not understand? Do we see Jesus for who he is? Now it's interesting, isn't it? Because the disciples, they see something of Jesus. Not they just completely clueless, but they don't see the full Jesus. They're fixated on the bread. They're fixated on how Jesus can solve their problems in the here and now. And they miss the significance of the bread maker. It's like Jesus asks us, do you see my true significance? I mean, why all the worry about what you look like? Why all the looking in the mirror, checking the likes on Instagram? Do you not understand the identity I have bought for you? I mean, why fret about your exam results, counting down the days until you get that certificate? Do you not understand what I've achieved for you in your death and resurrection? Why all the panic over the career success? Do you not understand the life that is being kept for you, waiting for you? Do you not understand my true significance? Now, as we close, we need to remember that whilst this is a difficult point to finish, we need to remember why Jesus is doing this. It's not to embarrass his disciples. It's not to condemn them. It's to show them their problem so he can fix it. See, we we need to understand the problem, don't we, um, before we understand the solution. See, imagine you were out in um, Basingstoke High Street, top of town, and someone just came along and rugby tackled you from nowhere. I think you'd be pretty miffed, wouldn't you? But imagine if seconds later, an out-of-control van uh, drove past. Well, then you'll realize why you needed that salvation. And it's the same here. Mark is convicting us time and time again that without Jesus, without his work, we cannot see him. And I don't want to give a spoiler because Clive, I have nothing to say next time. But I do want us to see that this is not where the disciples finish. They cannot see now, but Jesus is going to do another miracle. He's going to open their eyes. And that work he does in them is the same work he needs to do in all of us. He asks us, do we understand? But the good news is, if we don't, we can come to him without fear, and he will give us understanding. It's not just for the new Christian who needs to do that. For all of us, we need to come to him and say we cannot understand on our own.
but help me to see. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that Jesus came to feed the 4,000. Thank you, Father, that he strayed across that border and came for outsiders like us. And Father, we confess that on our own we cannot see him in his full significance. And so we pray, our Father, help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen.